What up, what up? Welcome back to Diabetics Doing Things. I'm your co-host, Eritrea Musakan. We are back. Like we, It's been a nice little holiday, a nice little sabbatical. Uh, and you know, we, uh, we took Labor Day off for the pod. And that allowed me a little bit of space to move uh, and uproot my life. Uh, but we're, we're here. I'm in my new home studio. We got to make it a little bit more audio friendly at some point, but that'll happen. Yeah, it's gonna get real. It's gonna get real fast. We're gonna get really quickly into this home, right, Rob? You're gonna stay oh, yeah. all set up, all good. Honestly, we were talking about it. It looks like an Airbnb because there's no pictures of any like family or anyone up. So there's no. It's all just generic. It's it's furniture. It's all, per, you know, functional. There's no like personal touches yet. So we've got to get those in. But we're we're in. So uh, thanks for everybody who was patient with me being away and not being on social media. Um, yeah, but you came back fast. Uh, I think you were on social. Media. I saw, I saw your face on Instagram today, sir, with the yeah, new thing I mean. and everything. I'm back. I'm back. Coming um, in hot. We got some good uh, good stuff coming up uh, for diabetics doing things. We got one of my favorite events uh, that I'm I'm not going to tell you guys what it is, but if you're a real fan, you'll know what it is. Coming this fall, it'll be uh, I'll be doing one of my favorite diabetes entertainment activities back as the host. So stay tuned for that this fall. Gonna be really fun. Uh, but today we have a really special guest. And I, before we get to Serene's episode and kind of why we're doing that, one of the reasons it's really special to me is that when Eritrea started at Diabetics Doing Things, we started doing our takeover Mondays and uh, doing things day from all around the world. And Eritrea was like, well, we should definitely start like overseas. And before we go back to the US and I have this friend in Lebanon, her name is Serene. We should we should have her on the pod, and so or we should have her on the takeovers. And this was before we did takeovers with podcast episodes. So we decided that since we missed her on the pod last year, that we should bring her back. And she's uh, an amazing person and a friend of the pod. So I'm I'm really excited for you guys to hear this episode. Um, Serene's just an amazing human being in general. I think that. You summed it up really, really well. Uh, I was really nervous coming into diabetics, doing things. I felt like I didn't have a whole bunch to like contribute. And then my first project, I guess, I like feel like I, I don't know. She hit it out of the park for me, you know, because Serene just brings everything. Um, I feel like when you listen to this episode, if you don't feel her energy, then like, I don't even know, because it, it just translates so well, even through audio. Um, and last year when she took over, it was right after the Beirut blast. So I remember that we weren't going to do it anymore because we didn't think that she would be safe or, you know, maybe she well, would be taking care of herself to take care of this or, you know, whatever. I just didn't want to overwhelm her. And we were concerned and, as well. Like it was Beirut blast. If you guys don't remember, there was a huge explosion at the Harbor in Beirut and it, it like broke windows like 500 miles away. It was mm -hmm. like this incredible, huge explosion of like, decaying oil or like some sort of like old explosives that like were decommissioned and they caught fire and exploded and mm -hmm. decimated the entire city. And what I didn't realize at the time was that, and a lot of what we talk about today is that the Beirut blast was a terrible, terrible event, but it brought to the forefront a lot of really horrible economic issues that Lebanon was already undergoing for uh, in, um, the, they were already near going and it kind of put the, the global spotlight on them briefly. And now, you know, if you Google yeah. it today, like, uh, you know, Lebanon economic crisis, you know, there's articles about, is it a failed state? Is it complete, is, you know, completely bankrupt, basically, um, a full, uh, like the, the Lebanese currency has like been devalued thousands of percentages points from two years ago. And, uh, people have, you know, they're, their homes, their bank accounts are just worth nothing. It's honestly a really, it almost makes me feel guilty to live the life that I live. Like knowing that I have people that I love who are in a situation like Serene's or, you know, the situation that Serene lives every single day. And then if any of you follow her on social media, if you don't, you definitely can check her out. I'll, we'll link, of course, her Instagram in the show notes, but you wouldn't know. Like, like watching her stories, like once in a while, there'll be you know, a glimpse of what she's going through, but you wouldn't know that her entire work building was completely one side of it was gone in that blast. Like it's an experience where a cup of coffee is a luxury and you can't right. put gasoline in your vehicle on a regular basis. Like these people cannot afford to live in these conditions. They can't afford anything. Imagine 
And then we talk about it in this episode, but it goes a step further when you have a chronic illness because diabetes doesn't stop. It doesn't give a single anything about where you live or what you're going through or what's happening. So look at you, you, uh, you, uh, you refrain from using like horrible curse words. Look at, look at you go. I've been working on it a lot. That's so much growth. I'm proud of you. You know what, Rob? (laughs) So, um, yeah, last year though, we had my dear friend, Julia Cotton, uh, who mm-hmm. amazing friend of the pod, her son had been diagnosed with type two diabetes and was able to, with diet and lifestyle, was able to get off of insulin, uh, and, and, you know, help really reverse his diabetes. And, um, it just, I'm very, very proud of, of the work that he did, uh, to get there. And because his mom is such an amazing person, she continued to refill his prescriptions for insulin. So, uh, we were, she gave me a ton of it. Uh, to distribute. And so uh, I had honestly never seen so much insulin in one place at one point. So like at that point, I had never, it was honestly kind of like uh, PTSD a little bit of like looking at it, knowing how much it costs, like knowing how difficult it is for so many people to get. So I was able to pass along some of it to some people here locally, but the organizations in the middle of COVID like weren't guaranteeing that donations would make it. And so we were really hesitant to send it somewhere. So we, fe- we felt like the Beirut blast was a great opportunity for us to just send a bunch of insulin over to people in Lebanon and Serene was able to help distribute it to people who needed it there on the ground. Uh, so that was, it was uh, intense though. Like it was a, such a labor of love. Like Rob texted me. It was such a random text message. It was like, Hey, can we do this? And I was just like, I think we can do this. And we just literally like the power of five or six diabetics or people who know diabetics, because the girl who took it to Lebanon, shout out Nassim, does not have diabetes. Like she was just like, oh, I just happen to be part of the community and I'll, I'll help you out. Like, and you know, you talk about power of community, but also just like timing and like everything came together in like two days. And I think the craziest mm-hmm. part was like the FedEx I, thing. Yeah. So like I'm going to UPS to try to send it to upstate New York to get it to Nassim so she can take it overseas on a plane. And I got to UPS store at like four 30 and they were like, our last pickup for the day is like, just got here. So you got to go somewhere else. And like, but they gave me, so I'm like burning up the streets of Dallas. Like it's, it's in the middle of the pandemic. So there's no one out made it all the way to the FedEx store for, before their last pickup was able to overnight it to Nassim who took it over. And like within 48 hours, like it went from my house to, or from you know, Julia on the weekend, gave it to me. It went from my place to UPS or to FedEx to upstate New York to Lebanon to people who needed it. And that was, that was just a really cool and I, thing. I never told you this, Rob, but when Serene sent me the picture, she got it. I cried. I literally just like burst into tears. I was like, I can't believe me having this job and knowing you who knew someone else help someone that we don't even know. Like, yeah, we help Serene, but who, who knows, you know? Yeah. And it's just like, I guess it's just like a like, small thing in my heart that like nothing is not on purpose and that this is like for a bigger reason anyway let me not cry this whole episode i cry you guys so i'm really sorry but like <laughs> trigger well, warning, I, think, like- <laughs> I think you know you never know you never know why somebody comes into your life you know julia and i met through improv comedy and you know became have become friends you know for most of a decade because of that and i never knew that her son was going to be diagnosed with diabetes uh and that she you know and she had the presence of mind to with a giving heart, you know, accumulate a bunch of insulin and get and give it to me to find somebody to give it to. And, you know, then you had just come into the fold at diabetics doing things, you know, Serene is over there. And it was just, I don't know, the culmination of a lot of events all at once and really powerful stuff. And, you know, again, not to give us too many pats on the back, obviously, like there's a lot of work that's continues. No, to be it's, done, it's just, it's it was, just once in a while, once we do something good, I feel like we should, because I think that we sometimes you do things behind the scenes and we just don't say anything. Rob is really good at being real Kobe about it, where if like he makes it, he just does. It's just like there's not a whole lot of celebration there. But once in a while, when we do something like this, where I feel like we make a real impact and I get to um, not touch, but almost just see it, it. It's more or less to motivate more people. So it's like you can do it, too. Lots of people have connections and it's not just to neighboring countries. We do it in my DFW type one Dallas group all the time. Someone will text and be like, Hey, I don't have a Dexcom for the week. Once my shipment gets here, can I give you one? So like the power of community can be small. We don't know the domino effect of it all. Right. So I guess more or less that story I share it so that you guys can maybe take, you know, if you, if you see somebody that you can help out, help them out. If it doesn't, you know, 
do too much too much to you i guess um but yeah it's a good episode i'm excited for you guys to hear serene's story to hear it in real time um there's a lot of resources available. She says them all throughout the podcast, but we're going to link them for you in the show notes for places to donate or more information to read about what's going on in Lebanon and how you can be part of, you know, helping in any way. So I encourage you to stick with it. This is a really great interview. Uh, use those resources in the show notes as well. They can help you just learn a little bit more about what's going on in Lebanon. Uh, it's not something that's on the news every night here in the U.S., uh, there's a lot of other stories that are kind of pushing it down, but still really, really heartbreaking stuff that's happening there to people on the ground, people with diabetes. So Serene, I'll let you take it from here after a word from our sponsors. What's up, guys? I got a very important announcement for you today. Not only is this episode sponsored by Type Zero Health, but Type Zero is now our official fitness partner of Diabetics Doing Things. And that's exciting for me, because if you can hear, I'm actually mixing up some Type Zero NO Booster in my shaker cup right now because I'm about to go work out like I normally do late in the day. And what I want to tell you first about type zero is that for people with diabetes, you can get the boost and the pump you need to crush your workout without having to worry about spiking your blood sugar because type zero's NO booster is clean. It's caffeine free. It uses natural ingredients, no artificial flavors or colors. And it doesn't spike your blood sugar, but it gets you the pump you need. It also doesn't have caffeine. So I can have it later in the day, like I am right now. It's about 530. I've just gotten through my workday and I'm about to go hit the gym. I use it when I play basketball, when I go on a run, when I hit the weight room, which I've been doing a lot lately. And I've been using it to help me shift into workout mode while I'm at home. I get that shaker cup going, mix it up. I'm using the cherry limeade flavor right now. You got to check it out. TypeZeroHealth.com for more information. If you use TypeZeroHealth.com, use code Rob Howe. That's my name, Rob Howe, no spaces at checkout and you can get 20% off. Type Zero is a T1D owned business and you know how I love T1D owned businesses. Check out episode 132 for my interview with the founder of Type Zero, John Jensen. You can hear his story there. Also check out Type Zero's Clean Nitric Oxide Supplement. I've been taking it for a few weeks now and it has really powered my recovery. Again, no caffeine, just beetroot, pine bark, arginine, and citrulline, which are natural ingredients. It helps me recover, which is a big part of how I implement my training these days. I've gotta be able to recover. I take on a lot of mental, non-physical strain. And then with my workout schedule, it's hard for me to recover and bounce back. And this has really helped me. I even left a review on Amazon with a photo of my whoop strap where it shows month over month how my recovery increased after I introduced the clean nitric oxide supplement. So check that out. Again, typezerohealth.com, the official fitness partner of Diabetics Doing Things and use code Rob Howe for 20% off at checkout. All right, back to the episode. Welcome back to another episode of Diabetics Doing Things. We are back international. Eritrea and I are up early this morning and our very special guest, very, very, very special, Serene. You might remember her from last year's takeover. Serene's coming to us live from Lebanon. She's here on a generator, and she's going to tell us a lot about herself and her life with diabetes, but also what's going on over in Lebanon and kind of taking us behind the scenes since we covered the Beirut blast about a year ago. So Serene, first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for making the time and for literally being on a generator uh, because the power grid is so shut down uh, over there. Uh, so I think this is the first podcast from a generator in the history of diabetics doing things. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I'm glad Lebanon's making history somehow. Um, <laughs> uh, thank you for having me. It's always like good to be back and to talk with people that resonate with the struggles of diabetics anywhere um, all over the world and also who showcase diabetics doing things regardless of the situation anywhere in the world so thank you again um so yeah it's, it's kind of weird to be back um post the Beirut explosion um and especially that we thought the Beirut explosion was rock bottom but somehow we keep on sinking <laughs> so so I don't think the world knows how bad things things are here, um, but we still try to have a positive perspective on things because we're still alive and we have to make something out of the time we have here. So, yeah. Um, I And I and I love that. I think like the spirit of, of the people of Lebanon, you can tell, like even uh, a few days ago, Eritrea shared, you, you were participating in Eritrea's outfit of the day, uh, you know, just, and, you know, being joyful and finding joy, even, even when there's not a whole lot to be joyful about around you. And, and we love that about you know, your, your spirit as well. 
So before we get into kind of everything that's going on present day, let's rewind a little bit to how you joined the type one diabetes family. Uh, so what do you remember about your diagnosis and, um, and, and well, when was it? Just walk us through the whole thing. So um, my diagnosis was post the 2006 war in Lebanon, <laughs> funny enough. Um, so I, I, like it was, I think in April um, 2007, April or May, I, I don't remember anymore. And um, I, I just like felt sick, you know, um, I was a sick kid and my, my mom took, took me to the doctor. They gave me a diagnosis, like they thought it was a UTI or something. And then they were shocked to find out I had diabetes. So it wasn't like the best, um, I think, diagnosis story because I'm an only kid. Um, I come from a middle income family. My, my mom, mom doesn't work. My dad uh, was a freelancer. So like, I think that kind of shaped my way into advocacy from the start because I, I came, like diabetes came to me in a time of lack and I always had to kind of fight, fight to have access to things. And I think that defines um, your perspective on life and like what you're entitled to and how, how you push for things in life. So um, I had to prove myself over and over again as a teenager to kind of have access to like things teenagers had, which was like to go out with friends because back then in Lebanon, we didn't, didn't for example, have insulin pens. We had the glass bottles. So I couldn't like take insulin out with me and go out with friends. And like over the years, I had to show people that girls can do things while having diabetes in a Middle Eastern community. Like we can work, we can get married, we can have kids, we can excel, we can be superstars. And I think I always had to push and that is why or where I learned to be positive from because I really didn't have any other choice, you know. Um, it was a choice for me to be positive while living with con this condition or else I wouldn't be able to kind of be like a normal person in my community. So um, I think briefly that like wraps up 15 years with diabetes. So now we're equal 15 years without diabetes and then with diabetes, you know? So you're like half, half and half. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> last year was my half and half. I, cause I was 16 and last year I was 32. So, um, yeah, I was like, Oh wow. Okay. Half my life with diabetes now. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you're like me, like now I don't really remember. Too, I, I, I remember events and I remember like happy times from when I was like, you know, didn't have diabetes, but I don't remember just eating without giving, you know, testing my blood sugar or giving insulin that all that sort of blends together now. Yeah. yeah. I, I like, I tend to always regret things that, that I left uneaten or unfinished. Like, damn it. I should have drank all these juice bottles and enjoyed all that cake. Like now I have to count carbs and stuff. So, but like, yeah, I think life with diabetes, um, it's a muscle, like, um, it's this muscle that you have to train just like when you go to the gym. And I tend to train that mental muscle. So it works. I like yeah, that. I, I love I love that perspective. Yeah. Eritrea, are you awake over there? Yeah, I am awake. It's just Sarid made me cry already. So I was just, like, whenever you said, I know I'm so lame, but when you said the thing about her doing the outfits of the day, like I, I just literally immediately started crying. I think it's hard when I, it's hard to talk to someone that I love so much, who's literally on the other side of the planet that I've never been able to like hold in my arms but that I truly genuinely care so much for um, and I'm like so concerned about. So it's hard for us to have these conversations and to be so candid when there is such a hard situation that's happening in Lebanon and that I like, yeah, like I just have to compartmentalize the feeling because otherwise it's too much. It's overwhelming. And I'm not even there. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Talk to me about how you guys met each other. I don't even remember how I met you. <laughs> like you just landed in my life somehow. Someone sent your profile to me and I think it was Yasmin. I think it was Yasmin Al-Shalabi. She sent me your profile and was like, you should talk to this girl. And I was just like, okay. And so then I just, I, I'm really weird. Like when people say you should reach out to so-and-so, Rob knows this, I won't. I will like watch your account for a little while and like see where you're about. And then if I feel like we click, I'll message. And that's kind of what happened with Serene. Like, I just started my position here at DDT and I was like really looking for different individuals and like your soul literally shines through my phone. Like I can see the light that you are and it is so intense and so gravitating and so, I don't know, it's like magnetic and you were our first takeover for a reason. Like 
literally I met Serene. It's so insane. You guys, the story is crazy. I met Serene. We started chatting three days later. We started talking about the first takeover. I was like, do you want Lebanon to be first? She was like, yeah, I'll do it. Let's do it. Blah, blah, blah. A week later, the blast happens like two days before her takeover, yeah, the blast happens. And I was like, oh my God, is my friend even alive? Like, is my friend even okay? And she was like, I'm totally fine. And I was like, okay, don't do the takeover. Get yourself together. And she was like, what do you mean don't do the takeover? This is the best time to do the takeover. Yeah, I, I remember like talking about, because I think it was the first, you were the first one, our first takeover yeah. that we were working on for Doing Things Day. And Eritrea had been around for maybe like a month or six weeks. And we were one, and one of our goals was to like, have people from other parts and different parts of the world talk about what diabetes was like there. And then immediately after that, we, you know, we had this meeting, we talked about you taking over. It was all good. And then the bigger blast happened. Uh, so this is about a year ago. And I, immediately I was like, well, we got to talk to Serene, like make sure she's okay. And then you were like, no, no, no I'm still going to take over. Like, we're still going to talk about this. And it was just, it was one of the most impactful things I've ever seen. It was just, um, and obviously, like you said, you've sort of thought it was rock bottom and then things have continued to kind of get worse and worse. And, you know, I guess the the word I would use to describe it just based on my external research and, you know, I don't know what Western media kind of hides from us as well, but like total economic collapse is, is sort of the, yeah. And I see, I see you nodding there. And at the same time, I want to, I want to talk about, um, as a whole, when Eritrea and I talk about humanitarian crisis, crises, which are happening all the time. And, you know, I think it's, that's something that we struggle with as well. Like, and even just me and my wife, like talking about, like, it's hard to be happy when there's so many different terrible things happening to people around the world. And I always think of whether it's Lebanon, whether it's Afghanistan, whether it's Palestine, whether it's China, there are people with diabetes in the middle of that. And they need insulin and they need test strips and they need, uh, you know, care. And, you know, some of them we've, we've been fortunate enough to have on the podcast and on the Instagram and they're not just, they're not just profiles, they're people. And so, you know, tell us a little bit for you as a person with diabetes in Lebanon, what's, what's going on? What, uh, what, what is your kind of day-to-day life? Because like, because you're here right now on a, on a generator you're, you know, you only have a certain amount of power left before you've got to migrate, you know, home. So give it, give us a little, give us the rundown and, and then, and then how do we stay positive in that? And how do you stay positive, uh, you know, in the midst of all of these terrible things going on? So, um, I think the best way to share how things are is to tell you like a story of one of my days, which was, I think last Saturday, I woke up, um, I was sweating because there was no electricity. It was, I think the first time that our building generator just dies because there was not even fuel for that. I wake up, I was like, okay, damn it. I wanna have coffee. I walked, I walked to my stove. I don't have a lighter because like I turned my stove on with electricity. So like, okay, damn it. Now I can't have coffee. So I'm like sitting there. I'm like being super annoying, super agitated, looking at my husband like, I want my coffee. <laughs> and then we're like, okay, let's go out somewhere and have breakfast. Then we remember that we don't have enough fuel. Then um, our, genera- our janitor tells us that there won't be electricity for the next 48 hours. And so now I wonder, okay, it's fine. I cannot have coffee, but what do I do with my insulin? So I grab whatever insulin I have in my fridge, which, which are like three months, uh, like, uh, of insulin supplies and uh, I just grabbed them I'm like okay I'll go to my office because we have electricity there because I luckily work at an, an international organization that can afford to pay even more money to like always have electricity at the office so I go there it's like 1 p.m by now I put my insulin in the fridge and now we're ready to have breakfast so we go to the like our regular breakfast place they don't have electricity. <laughs> so, you know, like I was like, and it's just 1 p.m., you know, like these are like the smallest things that no one even thinks to, thinks about. And then we're like, okay, let's go search for fuel. We go to somewhere else, we get our coffee. We found like I can't I can't describe the fuel lines. This, this is something that you have to see for yourselves. I'll share videos with you. 
but some fuel, like some cars waiting for fuel pile up to up to kilometer, kilometers, like it's, it's insane on the highway. So we, we find one that is just opening and there are only like a hundred cars in front of us. So we park. So we stay in the car for an hour and a half. And when we get like in line to fuel up our car, they only give us nine liters of fuel. Mm. So I break, I literally break down, you know, I don't have, I still don't have enough fuel. I didn't have proper breakfast. I go home. It's 3 PM. I still don't have electricity. I buy a lighter to cook lunch. <laughs> we have lunch. We're sweating. It's not even seven yet. No electricity. That is like a part of a day here. And it's only a small section because that also includes there's no insulin at pharmacies. We, are, we ask people to get insulin from outside the country in their suitcases. There are no test strips. Um, we had a long time when we didn't have any sensors. The company just imported a batch last week, which would be enough for two weeks for people. Um, and that's just diabetes. I'm not talking cancer. I'm not talking dialysis. Uh, I'm not talking about many other things. I'm not talking about people like married, uh, I'm sorry, like pregnant women who need like um, things to stabilize their pregnancy, like all these stuff. And that's just a part of the struggle. There are so many more things that I, I honestly like, I can't even remember right now because they've become such a normal way of living for us. Like they're normal. And then you look at someone living somewhere else and you're like, wait, that's a human right. And every night before I go to bed, I think to myself, if I was born anyone anywhere else, my personality, my set of skills, my intelligence, my PR skills, everything that I have, my kindness, who would I be? But instead I'm here. So, and yet I'm positive on glucose. I'm positive because I know I am here for a reason. And I choose to be a light. It's a personal effort. And some days I really don't want to be on social media. I don't want to smile. I just want to cry all day. I worry about my stuff. But some people have it worse. And it's my duty to be there for these people. So we fundraise and we push. And I emailed the WHO and I emailed the IDF. And I push and push and push. And when they don't answer once, I email twice. And the third time. And I keep trying until I get at least one insulin pen to someone who needs it. And I think that's like, that's everyone's duty, you know, to be a light in people's lives because everyone has a purpose. And my purpose is to serve people with diabetes. And I hope that wasn't too dramatic. <laughs> I told no. you I was going to cry the whole time. I told you I was going to cry the whole time. She's just, this is how she is. Like, how can, oh my God, Serene, like to hear you say there's somebody who has it worse than me, like. There are, because there are. Some people are literally going through the trash. Some people don't have a place to sleep. And I see them. I see them in my parking lot, digging from the trash. I see them everywhere. And so I do the smallest things. I tip people. I give people money. I give people food. Because some people have it worse than me. I still have insulin. I, I'm still alive. I'm still here. And as long as I am, it's my duty to help people. But... I don't know how sustainable that is because if things keep crashing and just so people understand what crashing is, our currency has devaluated 90%, which means people don't like, okay, so the average salary is now $29. People don't have money to buy food or well, afford, and, some people and don't you, afford electricity anymore. And if you had savings, all that savings is devaluated, right? So we're stuck in the banks because this problem started when banks um, did a haircut and they literally um, took people's money. Money like people have millions of dollars now can only like get out of the millions of dollars like fifty thousand dollars. Hmm. And people who have like one thousand, two thousand, uh, ten thousands like their small savings, they've devaluated. Like they would, they can do nothing with this anymore. So. It's insane. I, I really urge people to read about what's happening here because this is as um, like many, I think international governmental, governmental agencies labeled this, this is the world, the worst economic crisis that has happened in the world in 150 years. And people can read about it. So 
And I talk to people from international organizations and they tell me, well, this is not a humanitarian crisis yet, so we can't really step in and help. Mm. Well, yeah, thank you for being reactive. How about we be proactive and prevent an actual humanitarian crisis? So, yeah, I mean, everything that has happened in my life until now has pushed me into advocating because there is no other way. I've been interrupting, so I don't want to interrupt Robin. No, I, uh, I mean, I, you know, I think that we don't, I, I don't know. There's not, there's just no way to contextually that in the West, we can understand what you're going through. I mean, just cause there's, um, you know, we only had, I think two days of electric, electric grid failure here, uh, during the, during the winter this year. And, you know, me personally, I, you know, it was traumatic because we don't ever consider that the grid will go down. We don't ever think about gas stations, not having gas. We don't ever think about money, not being worth what it was worth yesterday. Um, and that's, that's because of our privilege here in the United States. Like we, we just think that the, those things are, we take those things for granted. We think that those things are a given and they aren't. And I think when we see people elsewhere, like you said, if you were born anywhere else, you wouldn't have these problems. Uh, and you know, I think about that a lot, like people who like, like me who were born here in the United States, we just got lucky. We got selected to come to a place where we don't have to worry about those things. And we didn't do anything to deserve that. That's just, that's just the luck of the draw. And, you know, so, you know, what do we do as, as people with privilege and people who care about other people, like you said, like your, your purpose is to, is to help people, uh, because, you know, you've been put in the situation for a reason. And that reason is to, to lift other people up. What can we do as, as people looking from afar, what, what can we do to help those people on the ground with diabetes who need, who need medicine, who need supplies, who need just to be heard, uh, you know, what, what can we, what can we do from, from overseas, from afar to, to help you guys there on the ground? Um, before I actually t tackle that exact issue, I want to talk on a broader perspective and I hope people will just listen, like, listen to me. Okay. I want you today to not look at me as someone who is Arab, who is Middle Eastern, who has a certain color, who comes from a certain background. I urge people to read. I urge people to inform themselves. I urge people to look at things from different perspectives. Wherever you are in the world, there's always going to be a humanitarian crisis somewhere. But don't take your emotions, like don't don't have your emotions drive you to do things and help. I want you to be informed because that even has a longer effect on communities worldwide. As a human being, I urge people from Anyone, anyone who's watching this, share it with your friends, because this is not just about Lebanon. This is not just about diabetes. This is about every person in a crisis anywhere that needs a helping hand. It's your duty as human beings to help fellow human beings. We were born to kind of have this oneness and to unite regardless of how we look like and where we come from. That is an, in an international perspective. As for Lebanon, there are many ways to help. And I keep posting about this on my um, diabetes Instagram. I tell people, if you don't have the money to donate, you have the voice to share and talk about it. If, if you're not vocal on Instagram and social media, just be informed and talk about it behind your screens to people that might be able to contribute in any way. You can donate, you can help um, have drives at your countries, you can help ship med medication here, whether it's just one box of insulin in your carry-on, which literally doesn't like bother because that one box of insulin might help someone just diagnosed right now and not able to find insulin. And excuse my husband in the background. <laughs> so um, there are many ways to help, be creative, you know, um, and really listen to what your intuition tells you because you always have this one-of-a-kind solution that only you can um, do with your set of resources and your set of connections. So be a voice to anyone in the world and be kind of um, a way to push things forward and pay things forward and create that change because nothing ever will change anywhere in the world if, you don't, if we don't remember that we are all connected and it's our duty to help each other through any kind of crisis. 
Um, so I was reading online and, and I wanted to ask you, Serene, about as far as like donations go and people like helping people in Lebanon and sending money because I've offered and I'm telling you like, Serene, let me send you money. And she's always like, no, wait, no, hang on. No, it, you know, I might not even get here. So I know that there's like some sort of way to do it. I'm just not sure, like all of the semantics. But if someone on this side of the, of the U.S. wanted to help someone in Lebanon, like what would be the best way to do that? I know donating to the government's a no go. Like every Google search says that, like the Lebanese government don't give them no cash. So what would, as someone who is from Lebanon, what would you suggest would be the best way to get someone some kind of financial resources? Um, just an FYI, most of the NGOs here uh, belong to people in the government or wives of people in the government. So they, they always have this way of like using money to some other um, um, favors. To buy a main coat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Or, you know, the Chanel brush thing and have a brunch and take nice photos. Oh, my but, God. Um, yeah. I mean, we did try to do a GoFundMe. And uh, unfortunately, the GoFundMe, for some reason, after we get, got all the money, decided that they don't want to send the money to Lebanon. And they had us, um, you know, uh, return all the money back, which, is, which was such a shame. Um, we started something called Eshos. It's it's like a donation account, uh, and we can get the money in Lebanon. It's kind of safe, but it's it's a bit complicated for people because uh, it's it's literally a ticketing platform that gave like a space for people to donate money. So people can do that until we find other ways. I'm currently begging banks uh, to help me open a bank account because ever since the crisis happened two years ago, banks stopped opening bank accounts. So I'm telling them this is for a cause, please, I need a bank account so I can get fresh money for people with diabetes. I was promised that within the coming week or so, they might help me open one. So we'll have to wait and see. But like, I think the best way is to actually get medication into Lebanon because even if you send us money and my apologies to all the NGOs who are receiving money. There are no medication here. The only way to buy medication is like the closest country is Turkey. And we've so, done it before. So you, so, okay, back, so backstory, um, me and Rob, apparently, <laughs> we've sent insulin to Lebanon before. It makes me feel like, you know, narco, I'm just kidding. Man, I, let me, but, let me just, let me tell you as well, like, let me tell you, and, and granted, like our, it was like Mission Impossible, yo. We were, uh, we had such a little window because uh, there was a friend, a mutual friend of, bo of both you and Eritrea who was in upstate, New, upstate New York. Nassim was in upstate New York, uh, which in, in terms of like, <laughs> in terms of the distance from Dallas to upstate New York is like, you know, Lebanon <laughs> to Kenya, you know? And so it's like, uh, we, we got to get it there and we have to send it overnight. And so I go to like a UPS store and turns out the UPS store like cannot help me. They like will not ship or like they couldn't get it there on time because I was there like 10 minutes too late. It was like 5 p.m. and they couldn't they couldn't ship it. So I had to drive. I had like a 15 minute window to drive from where I was to like a hub of like FedEx. And it's in the middle of COVID. So like, you know, mask, you know, it was nothing was really open. And so. We got we got it there, and with like five minutes to spare, we sent it, and it 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 made it to Nasim, and then she brought it over to to you guys, and it was my friend Julia, uh, who is one of the best people I've ever known. Uh, she her her son was diagnosed with type two diabetes, and he's very young, and he was uh, he took all of the uh, all the, his doctor said you know if you if you eat right and you exercise, you probably won't need to take insulin, but we're gonna give you this prescription anyway. And so she kept filling the prescription, even though he didn't need it because she knew that somebody was somewhere would need it. And so she gave me that box of insulin like three weeks before we met you. And then we were like, this is where it's got to go. So we were able to get like, I don't know, it was like 60 pens over to, to you guys. It was like, it was the most insulin I've ever seen at one time. Uh, and uh, I'm so glad that we were able to get it to, to people in Lebanon. That's the yeah, power I, of community. Yeah. Yeah. That's what Serene's talking about. Like you have to, it's, we, we have to basically build these connections in America. Like if you're an American and you happen to know somebody from the Middle East, are you from Lebanon? Where are you from? Because that is a question that I ask all the time. Or even like, if I know someone's going to another country in the group, I'll ask, I'll be like, Hey guys, I know a girl who's going to France. Anybody got a plug in France so I can give her a bunch of insulin and then they can give it to one of y'all. Cause like, we can't just hear so-and-so is going to travel overseas 
good for them. Like, no, there's humanitarian crisis is happening all over the place. And if you can hand that person off some insulin, that's maybe going to get to someone who would have died without it. Like, let's do that. Let's make those connections naturally. Stop being so shy about it. Like nobody's coming to save us. We have to save ourselves. We have to save each other. Well, actually just a shout out to Nassim. She actually just started collecting insulin again and she's going to send them with her mother, I think over the coming month or something. Oh, we got to get her some stuff. (laughs) So I was like, no, no, like this can't be happening again. This is too weird. But like, yeah, I mean, um, that's how we're bringing medication into the country now. And I think the Ministry of Health has issued some kind of special permit that allows people to get medication in in with their luggage. Like people are literally just shipping luggage filled with medication. Hmm. So um, yeah, I think that's like the best way to go. And just so people know how I give medication away. So basically, um, Positive on Glucose is an organization. It's currently a one-woman job. Just so everyone knows, I've been running this thing for the past two years alone. God help me. And um, I work with primary healthcare clinics. Um, and that's how I, I identify and um, help people. Because like that's the best way to go. There are diabetes educators. They have a facility. They do all the work for me. I trust them. And um, we don't have the financial capacity at the moment to like have our own clinic. So um that's the way to go and if you donate to any organization please ask be informed how do they give people their medication how do they give people their stuff what's the mechanism they use because unfortunately a lot of organizations take things but we don't really know how or who they deliver it to and i've seen that with diabetes organizations here like i like people come to me and they're like i need insulin well did you talk to a did you talk to b yeah they said they can't help you like what you know so Hmm. Just be informed and ask and see how these people are actually helping uh, and then donate and help them. Serene, in the show notes of this episode, I'd like to work with you to, to include some links to some essential reading, some things that you, so you, you were talking about being informed. Uh, for people over here, I'd love to make it as easy as possible to help them like understand what's going on and then also provide links and, and resources for them to donate to um, that, you know, you un, like are vetted and are, and are, are good places. Uh, so we'll work with you on that to, to include, uh, when we publish this episode, I think that's really important to make this actionable. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, there's obviously like limited things that we can do, but I think that like getting involved with people, like you said, finding people and helping people, uh, rather than kind of relying on, you know, establishment organizations will, uh, you know, hopefully we can, you know, make some progress that'll help some people right away. Because obviously, like some, you know, uh, even here in the United States, like with uh, mutual aid organizations and organizations that help get medical supplies and insulin to people who need it, there's often a lot of red tape when it comes to organizations, because they they have, you know, whatever the the rules are around some of those things are are sometimes difficult. So, Getting it to the people is what we're trying to, to help do and and you know by by sort of any means necessary. Literally. Yeah, 100%. Oh, we only have a few minutes left with Serene. I love you, friend. You're so pretty. <laughs> um, yeah, it makes me feel nervous about our topics because I'm just like, okay, what's the next thing before the generator goes out? Oh my God. And that, like every day, that's how you're living your life. The other day I was talking to Serene and she was like, at work and I was at work obviously BSing because Americans when we go to work we're like bullshitting we don't want to work and so anyway um Serene was like no I'm working really hard because the generator is about to go out and I was just like what like (laughs) ah so it's just such a different different side of the coin like different perspective just different life and I'm so thankful to you and all your positivity to be completely honest on days when I feel like I just want to cry all day I'm just like well I mean what's your problem like you you're fine like you're not if serene's fine but then i know that you do have days where you're not so positive on glucose and like i think the reason i cry is because i remember how you posted that you felt like you were suffocating she was like i feel like i'm suffocating i feel like i've been buried alive and i'm just like so i guess when you're not so positive what helps you feel better um i mean i just tune in to like I remind myself of what I've accomplished and what I'm still able to do and I remind myself that if I just stay there on the couch moping I'm help- I'm really helpless so like I need to do something and I mean there are days where it, it gets um 
really intense and like you know that I've been coping with panic attacks and anxiety and I, like I had depression and I've been going to therapy and like that that alone was hard and then all of this is hard and like when you see some kid eating from the trash or like this 80 year old guy waiting at, like at a fuel up a fuel lineup and like waiting for hours and it, it just breaks your heart you feel invisible you help, you feel helpless you feel like you're talking and posting on social media and you're reaching out to international humanitarian aid and no one's looking at you like you're nothing you're invisible and it hurts and then i cry it out i'm like girl you've been through a lot of things you've coped with a lot of things you've lost things that are that were very hard to get over um and you're still here you smile you enjoy life you have good people you have friends your family's fine get your shit together and like go find insulin for someone and uh, it works it really works until the next time i see someone eating from the garbage and then this like goes on again but like yeah well and you talked about it being a choice that you make uh and just a brave choice that you make to be positive and uh you know Eritrea and I talk a lot about like toxic positivity. And this is just the opposite of that is like when you have no other choice uh, to choose to be positive, just takes so much bravery and courage uh, and leadership and guts too. So, you know, uh, what you guys are doing over there is, uh, is incredible. And we want to do whatever we can to help you guys, even if that's just having more conversations and uh, turning over the microphone to the people of Lebanon who are, are struggling. And I think also just not in a, not in a way that's appealing to mainstream media in the West, uh, where, you know, they can, you know, craft a big narrative around it. Uh, just people need help and they need basic human rights. Like you said, before it becomes a humanitarian crisis and before, um, you know, it, it becomes very tragic and obviously already extremely tragic, but, um, you know, what we, the, the world's eyes need to be turned to the suffering of the people of Lebanon. And, uh, because, you know, I, I, I remember, I remember a few years ago, I went to, I went to Medtronic headquarters in Europe, uh, in Switzerland. And one of the people who was showing me around for the day, one of the employees is, was from Beirut. And she was telling me, she's like, you know, this, uh, the city that was a, a melting pot of European and Arab culture, uh, right there on, uh, you know, the a beach city, a beautiful, vibrant, you know, uh, colorful, uh, musical culture. And, and I think about that now, uh, and I think about those people who are like sort of dormant because of the economic fallout and the joy that's been taken out of a place and a place that's been a very proud nation that's sort of been, you know, reduced to, I don't know, rubble is probably not the right word, but um, is a shadow of its formal, former self. But I know that the people are still there. And, and I just... I wonder, like, when you go out and you and, and the people of of Beirut and, and, and in Lebanon, what what is that like vibrant culture? Where, where where does that manifest itself differently now? Does that feel different today? Is that does that feel like a million years ago that it was that it was this sort of thriving uh, city and culture? Um. Okay, to answer that question, I will ask you a question. What is your favorite local? key thing that you like to do in Dallas like which is a comfort thing like a place you like to go eat at yeah like yeah just like a like go to a restaurant or go have a cup of coffee or something yeah just like get out get out and go downtown and yeah let's just say going to uh going to weekend coffee uh in in downtown Dallas that's like a, a great comfort thing for me so at the moment I'm 30 you know like this is where, where I get comfortable with life. I get established. I enjoy, I enjoy life. You know, I like, I have a good job. I can, I can make good money by this age, but I wonder if I can go to the coffee place that I love so much because a, I don't have enough fuel. B, they might not have electricity. C, the coffee has become so expensive. It's like a big chunk of my salary. Take that idea times 4 million people living here. People are sad and honestly, Lebanese people don't deserve to be sad because they're the happiest people. We're, we're party animals, we enjoy life, enjoy the small things, we're hospitable, we like food and culture and like a big family Sunday event where we barbecue and just 
drink and enjoy life and laugh. And they took that away from us because no Lebanese family is able to even afford a good um, barbecue anymore. So it's really sad. And I, I have to thank the international community for all the tourists, tourists that come because if, if it weren't for the tourists that still come because now we're so cheap, um, we wouldn't be still here. And my heart breaks of what will happen in September because it will be the end of the high season and all the like small coffee shops, restaurants that barely have enough people now won't have anyone to be able to afford them anyway. Not because they want to be expensive, but because everything is actually expensive and then they're barely making any profits. So like, this is such a, like, again, um, I'll make sure to like give you links to read about everything. So I like, give you Instagram accounts for people to go and see what, what is happening. Um, it's just a sad city. It's a sad country at the moment. And somehow we still manage to kind of, yes, wait for fuel for four hours and then go somewhere, like go for a drive and yes, pay that extra amount for a good coffee, just sit with our friends because we're Lebanese. And this is what Lebanese do. They just want to have a good time. And like, Richie, if you look at my stories yesterday, that, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> so She sent me videos of these girls. Like she was sitting in a restaurant, like at a cafe. And there's these girls running around, like laughing, like children. And they're like braiding Serene's hair and like laughing. And Serene's like, stop. And they won't stop touching her. So like, there's joy there. Like similar to all other kinds of trauma. Like there is joy there. It's just so, I guess it's just so much more meaningful because of the situation like man the people of Lebanon are so resilient so amazing so proud and I can't wait to visit you Serene we're already planning that trip so yeah I mean like she said tourism is a big form of income for the country so I mean I want to contribute I mean anything if anybody's listening and you guys can think of someone who's going overseas try to try to go like that's all I can say to people is try to know more about Lebanon try to love people from Lebanon if you have a friend in Lebanon you're so lucky I feel so lucky to know you Oh, thank you so much. Well, Serena, I want to thank you for uh, spending some of your very like vital, like minimal electricity hours with us uh, and, and telling your story. Uh, want to wish you safe travels this weekend. I know you're getting out of the city for a little while uh, to, to go on vacation. Uh, I hope you've come back renewed uh, and refreshed. Uh, and uh, yeah, we are going to coordinate with you to make sure that we get all of the right links and the right information to people. But thank you again so much for your heart, for your people, and for people with diabetes. Uh, we really appreciate you taking the time. And uh, yeah, you'll always be our first takeover from uh, from Doing Things Day. So uh, you're part of the Diabetics Doing Things uh, international family, uh, no matter what. So thanks so much.